0: Hi, I'm Lucy Adams from Disruptive HR. Welcome to one of our podcast series where you'll hear from HR practitioners who are genuinely doing things differently. If you're looking to change your HR practices, then why not check out the Disruptive HR Club? It's got tons of videos, webinars and downloadable guides that will give you all the ideas and practical help you'll need. Check it out at www.disruptivehr.club. Hi, and welcome to another podcast from Disruptive HR, where we talk to people who are just either in the HR profession or around the HR profession, and who are just shaking things up and doing things differently. And uh, this is the first time actually we've had someone come back. So this is, uh, today we're talking to Catherine Garrard, who's uh, ex-Sky Head of Inclusion we'll come back to that title perhaps in a bit, and is now a uh, founder of her own business, Compelling Culture. And um, so, hi, Catherine. Hi, thanks for having me back. Oh, it's a pleasure, because we met you when uh, we came over to Sky that day, and we met with you and your colleague, Tracy, and we talked about a whole range of things. So, the previous recording, I think, is, is, is actually um, on uh, Spotify, iTunes, etc., but we're going to do a new one today. So, How's it going with the new business?
1: Yeah, really good. I think I'm not quite six months in yet, but the thing I'm enjoying most actually is loads of people just want to make their workplaces better. Um, The big focus is on diversity and inclusion. I think since George Floyd was killed last year, that's a really natural uh, reason that people are contacting me. So organisations have got you know, lots of kind of passion and ambition in this place. So they're kind of coming to me for a bit of help and guidance and structure and how do we embed that into things like policies and process and systems as well, as well as kind of set, you know, volunteers, mass populations of volunteers up for success so that the organisation can really evolve. So I'm really enjoying it because I'm getting to work across industry with organisations
0: of all different sizes. To and I think you, you, you touched on a really good point, which is both a positive and and, and a kind of question mark for me, which is there is a huge amount of interest in diversity and inclusion at the moment. I think, you know, the Me Too piece, obviously the Black Lives Matter piece um, and uh, the tragic Sarah Everard piece recently. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these are all momentous things that have gone on and there appears to be a renewed one if if we were almost being cynical a kind of new interest from leaders uh, across the board saying we've got to do something Mm -hmm. is your sense is, is is it is it a genuine we need to do something a genuine sort of awakening from leaders or is it a we've just got to be seen to be part of this I
1: think it's both like really honestly I think some people get it with their head and just go reputationally we need to do something a lot of people get it with their heart and think, I don't want to live in a world like that. I don't want my children to live in a world like yeah. that. I don't want to work in a world like that. So I think it is both, I think. And I do think it's, it's you know, the cynical bit to, to just pick up on that point. Yes, these things come round again, but I've not experienced anything like what we had no. last year. Um, mm. People really care from every different demographic and every different background. and sp- People are speaking up for each other. More than ever now, as well as kind of thinking about their own lived experiences and what, what they want to see improve in in work and in life.
0: And it strikes me that it is an opportunity not just to roll out the old diversity and inclusion programs that we've had previously. I was laughing with someone the other day, and I was saying, you know, when we first set up disruptive HR we didn't do anything on diversity and inclusion we just left it well unknown because whereas we could find fantastic innovation in talent management LD, performance etc when it came to diversity and inclusion the innovation was really quite thin on the ground yourself you know as being an exception but it wasn't great and i think you know we now do focus on it we're not experts it's part of a broader portfolio of work but I think that there is now a, a growing momentum isn't there about let's not just repeat things that clearly have not worked why is it that we we kind of we get we have got DNI so wrong in the past or if not wrong that it just hasn't had the impact that we wanted it to.
1: So I think there's a few things. I think the first one is HR typically runs lean in every organisation I've worked in. So it's not that people haven't cared before, don't understand it before, but they just haven't been able to make the investment in it before in terms of really understanding what the structural inequalities are to be able to rebuild them and rewire them. So I'm kind of hopeful with this surge that there's more and more investment and will kind of continue to improve. I think the other thing that happens is, is people set things up because they really care, because they really know someone. So what I typically see in organisations is a bit of a scattered approach to, well, this department set this up, this is happening over here, this is happening over here, which is amazing in terms of passion and commitment, but it doesn't have the scale and the weight behind it and the process. And then the third thing that I think is a challenge is, is people focus on unconscious bias and 90 plus percent of our thought processes are automatic and they're based on who we know what we've done what we've tried before what's worked what's comfortable and it happens so quickly you know it's it it's just happening all the time and the bit we need to focus on is the kind of five to ten percent which is conscious right (laughs) because that's the bit that's slowed down it's thoughtful it's more reflective it's more measured it goes and seeks Kind of data and research and and feedback and collaboration, and that's where we need to focus the energy. Um, so I think it's a combination of all of those things. And then I think the other, the other biggie actually is fear. People are worried that they're going to get it wrong, um, and so that holds people back. Uh, so one of my big messages for people is start small, do one thing brilliantly. Keep doing that until it becomes a habit and then do the next thing. And you get the cumulative impact. If, if you can kind of build that courage within the organisation from every level, from every department, you start to gain this momentum and you create all these tipping points. There's a
0: huge amount in there, which would be great to just dig down a little bit deeper into. Um, I mean, just going back to your, your point around um, lean and diversity and inclusion, expertise, Is there such a thing as diversity and inclusion expertise? You know, if you were starting again and you were hiring somebody into Sky to be your replacement, would you look for 10 years DNI experience or would you look for something else? I think it is underinvested, like I say. So I think
1: what you really need is somebody who understands how an HR function works and all of the different stages of the employee life cycle and how all the different teams in HR work from comp and bend to leadership development, to employee engagement, to succession planning, to, you know, all of the different things so you need to understand the employee life cycle and which levers to pull. And I think what happens with diversity and inclusion quite often is we might think about the external reach or we might think about people's lived experience, which is all really, really important. My worry is unless you're hardwiring it into the employee life cycle and the policies, the processes, the systems, the decision making, it stops the minute that person or those people stop. Yeah. So you kind of need both. You need, you need real kind of HR breadth and experience of all of those things. I, th- I actually think HR is your biggest stakeholder if you're working in diversity and inclusion. If you really want to take an organisation through, through change, whether you are embedded in the HR team or you sit in strategy or you sit in another team, HR are a huge stakeholder in terms of actually creating that cultural
0: change and that and that's interesting isn't it because we have had situations I've certainly had it in in my experience where diversity and inclusion has almost wanted to kind of be separate to HR and ideally report into the chief exec and and um and you know that doesn't always lead to the best outcomes does it And, and and I think you're you're reinforcing is that it doesn't matter where they sit but they have to be allied and and integrated with the, the HR, not the HR um, points of contact, the employee life cycle.
1: Yeah, and, and your HR business partners who are facing out into the leaders and all of those kinds of things. I actually think the diversity and inclusion roles quite a complex one. Yeah. Because it's it's really about stakeholder management at any level across any department. It's around understanding all the employee life cycle and pulling all of those levers. And it's also your external. So whether you've got regulators or whether you've got you know your customers or whether it's a service that you provide or it's multi-layered so I don't think there is a one kind of diversity and inclusion person it may be a combination of people where
0: you combine that skill and that will so just going back we talked about your job title at Sky so it, was it a deliberate thing to leave out the word diversity and focus on inclusion or just by accident it was it was uh, a. it was intentional It was definitely
1: intentional. So we started, so there was, you know, I wasn't the first person to talk about diversity and inclusion at sky. There was great things that have been happening for a number of years. But at the point when when we really ramped up, um, we launched the vision and it was to be leading for inclusion, both on screen and behind the scenes. So it was really around that message of including our people, including our customers, you know, who aren't we serving? Who aren't we representing? It was actually about inclusion and I would say for the first year, we talked about what does inclusion look and feel like in your team, in your department? What's the lived experience for the people that you work with? <laughs> Is the big population, so whether it's you've got more men than you've got more women or you've got more white people than you've got more black or more Asian or more Latino, is whoever the bigger population is, are they having a better experience than the smaller populations? Because usually when you kind of cut through that and you dissect it and you disaggregate something like an employee engagement survey and you look at results for something like empowerment, What you find is the bigger population typically are having the better experience, but they drown and they swamp the experience of the smaller population. So that data doesn't come out unless you slice it apart. So we spent a year talking about inclusion and what does inclusion mean and what does it mean to you? And actually what we found, we did loads of research right at the beginning. It wasn't necessarily purely about demographics. It was around how long have I been at Sky. What job do I do? Am I in a contact centre? Or am I in a senior leadership position? I want to be valued as much as the next person. So that was really valuable. And then the diversity conversation comes really naturally off the back of that.
0: Can I just pick up, what you just said but link it to the point you made when you were talking about why we perhaps get diversity and inclusion wrong or with less impact and this fear of getting it wrong because I totally get that and I think back to conversations I've had with older white males um, Mm -hmm. about gender and uh, and gender diversity gender inclusion and you see the fear in their eyes and I've felt it myself when I've perhaps had conversations around um issues around race or color and even saying those words I start to feel nervous because I think have I said that right have I said it wrong am I going to offend anybody and I just really want to get your take on that, because it strikes me that if we're going to change things, we have to have people feeling a bit uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And how do you get leaders to willingly put themselves into situations where they might get it wrong and feel uncomfortable?
1: I, I actually saw something on LinkedIn this week, and I can't remember who it was, so I can't attribute them, forgive me. But it said, the uncomfort's where we learn. And I think there's a few things for leaders. So you've got usually huge investment in leadership development um you know quite a lot of money gets invested in the top tier of an organization if you haven't got inclusive leadership as part of that investment we're not setting those leaders up to be able to have these conversations and lean into it so I think that has to be an integral part of of what a good leader looks like inclusive leadership I also think conscious inclusion every day is such a core part of that. You know, coming back to your point around the programmes, what quite often happens, and I think it's got its place, is investment gets put into helping the underrepresented groups be successful in a world that wasn't built for them. And it wasn't built by them and it wasn't built with their collaboration. So to just give an example of that, you know, women get taught to be more assertive and take up more space Absolutely and lower never. the tone of their voice. You know, actually, it's yeah. how to be more like a man in a, in a world yeah. that was built, built yeah. by men for men. But we don't put the investment in for the overrepresented groups this is the reality, and here's what you can do. And actually, yeah. your role as a leader, and here's how to do it. And let's break it down. And that's where you build the confidence and the courage. And I, I think we've just got the investment a bit wrong from positive intention. Yeah. But we need to we need to tip the balance the
0: other way because also that, I think yeah. um, less about doing and more about listening as leaders. You know, yeah. I, I was really struck. I had a few phone calls after uh, the Black Lives Matters movement um, sort of, you know, sprung up and and from HR directors who were saying, what are other companies doing? Because I'm getting real pressure from my leaders to do something. Yeah. And. I haven't got anything really to compare it to from my own experience other than when we had the Jimmy Savile crisis. And again, apologies, listeners, if you're not UK based, because this might not mean anything to you. I'd suggest Googling it, Jimmy Savile. But then on the other hand, you probably don't want to because it's all pretty horrible. Mm. But, you know, in that situation, there's a sense that we need to we need to do something. And actually, people didn't necessarily who had been impacted by sexual harassment did not want you to do anything particularly they just wanted to be heard and I think we're such we're such action-oriented leaders that it's immediately let's spring into doing something about Black Lives Matter whereas some of the real positive stuff I've seen is just actually we're just going to listen and that's quite hard isn't it for action-oriented people is that something you've come across?
1: Oh, for sure. I I think quite a lot of organisations kind of underreacted and then over panicked, I would almost describe it as because it was like, oh, we really want to do better. We know we need to do better. And we've had a good look at ourselves. So what can we what can we kind of do straight away? Um, One of my clients I was speaking to earlier this week said that they that one of their principles is actions speak louder than words. So they really held the line on not Kind of publicly going out with a black lives matter statement but actually kind of listening and doing the right things and their their um focus is on managers picking up the phone and checking in with people and saying are you okay you know Let's have the conversation. Let's discuss it rather than a corporate message that went out. And I just thought that's such a good nuance in terms of we're not going to do the big bang. We're going to empower people and equip people and encourage people and set the expectation that actually we want our line managers to be checking in with the people in their team with the things that are
0: going on in the world. Now you used an expression which I absolutely loved which was conscious inclusion every day mm-hmm. and um and I love that expression because I think what it what it talks to is this small act the things that maybe I could try as a leader in five minutes rather than it being a big program and me having to change everything I could just try that um, how do, how do you get that going? How do you, how do you m- begin to encourage this sense of conscious inclusion every day?
1: So I distilled an awful lot of research into five things, so I can walk you through them if you want. And then what right. I suggest is people just pick one until that becomes a habit, and then they move on to the next one. Um, so the first one is make sure there's a mix. So if you look at your diary of your Monday morning meetings, there's always the same people that all kind of look a bit like you. How can you change that? How can you know, can you invite people from the next level in the organisation as an example? Or if you're setting up a project team or you're thinking of planning a town hall and you're thinking about who's going to speak or, or, you know, you're getting people back together virtually or, you know, you're looking at who you're going to recognise for going the extra mile that month, whatever it is. Make sure there's a mix. Just have a look at who's in the room, have a look at who's in the meeting, have a look at who's on the email, you know, whatever it is, make sure there's a mix because that's the quickest way of bringing a different narrative and a fresh perspective into conversation. So whether you're thinking about internally from an employee point of view or externally from a, a consumer or a customer point of view, making sure there's a mix is, is the primary thing. Actually, any of us can do because and I if like we all that
0: because it's not about and uh, make sure there's a blend of male female and other you know minority groups it's just a mix mm-hmm. yeah you know, wherever that you know it could be different backgrounds different personalities make sure they're a mix mm-hmm. what's number two
1: number two is if you've got the mix invite everyone to join in the conversation So there's, um, I think it's something like 80%, uh, 30% of people will dominate 80% of the conversation, unless you facilitate that discussion. So if you've got somebody in the room or on Zoom, who's super, super passionate, and they're kind of, you know, they're they're on, it's like, Catherine, that's cool. Like, now let's hear from everybody else. You know, you've got to make sure that you're creating space for people to speak. And you need to think about things like letting people know what that discussion is going to be in advance and that there's going to be a discussion so that people know what to expect when they show up. But really create, you know, you're not just here from a numbers point of view, from a diversity point of view. I'm doing air quotes. Um, (laughs) You're here because we want you to be included and we want to hear your
0: voice. So make sure every voice is heard. We always used to say at the BBC that the real um, discriminated group were the introverts, you know, because and I imagine sky similar. When you work in media, there are lots of big, charismatic uh, extroverts who can easily dominate. And so um, being an introvert in that environment was really tough. And the quiet people, if you go and follow up with them afterwards, so sharp,
1: because they've been absorbing everything that's gone on. And Absolutely. I always want to hear from the quieter people. Absolutely. So number three. So number three is then deliberately seek out alternative perspectives. So if you are creating, designing, thinking, wanting to get feedback, quite often we go to our go-to people the people that will give us feedback in the way that we enjoy feedback the people that we've worked with for a long time that know what our style is the people that already know what our mission is and what we're trying to achieve and they will give critical feedback and that's all good but they will be giving you similar feedback each time yeah this is a big personal one for me so the deliberately seeking alternative perspectives I realize I always went to the same people And because my work has always been about total organisation, I was totally missing a trick. I just was missing, you know, feedback and input from different groups. So you go slower to go faster on this, actually, because by going out to people that, you know, are less familiar with your work or work in a different department or have different life experiences, however you want to do that, they will challenge your thinking, (laughs) absolutely will challenge your thinking. And every single time I've done it, I've changed
0: my work and it's been much better for it. Wow. Interesting. And as you say, sometimes I think we avoid that because we know, the people who know us, we don't have to take as long to explain it. It, There's a speed, isn't there? There is a Mm -hmm. speed, whereas, as you say, actually doing this, you know it's going to take longer, but the outputs are going to be greater. And what I love about these three so far, and I'm sure four and five are going to be equally good, is that this, you haven't mentioned the word diversity or minority group, or, you know, this is just actually about interactions, conversations, just a little bit of extra thought these are all doable yeah we've got more in common than we have differences so hit me with number four
1: so number four then is ask people what would make them feel included yeah if they already are and if they're not what would make the difference so you know there's kind of mechanical ways of doing this in organizations through things like engagement surveys but there's just your one-to-ones or your, your team catch-ups or your whatever, or if you notice somebody hasn't participated in a discussion, but you know their ideas are brilliant, follow up afterwards and say, hey, how was that meeting for you? Is there something I could do differently Yeah. to kind of make it more comfortable for you to contribute in the discussion? Because I really want to hear what you're saying.
0: And also it's then about you as an individual, not you as being part of a group or representative mm-hmm. of, you know, it always used to make me laugh when, you know, I'd be kind of called upon to give a female view. Like, you can speak like I for can all, women. Yeah. <laughs> all women. All <laughs> women. Half the planet I can represent, you know, I mean, it's just crazy, isn't it? it so is. number five. So this is the get to know people who
1: aren't just like you so we if you think about your five closest friends family colleagues go to people quite often not always but quite often you've got loads in common with them because that's how we form relationships and it's normal, you know, that is our experience on this planet and it's all good. But the more that you can get to know people who aren't like you, the more your empathy builds, the more your awareness builds, the more your consciousness builds. So in organisations, a really easy way of doing that, if they exist, is, is go join employee networks, either as a part of that community or an ally or an advocate, I think the other ways of doing it, you know, Netflix, podcasts, you know, all of those kinds of things. If you actually have a look at your bookshelf or have a look at your watch list...
0: Honestly, like, gonna be, my husband calls them bonnet dramas. <laughs> and it's like a kind of lockdown comfort blanket. I've just gone back to blooming Jane Austen. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm <laughs> even cliche. If,
1: it, if you look at business books, if you look at leadership books, quite often that the ones that get promoted and talked about more and, and the way that they're placed in bookshops are written by men. And that are books that are written by women in business are put under personal development. So, usually, even if you just audit your bookshelf that you read for work, not for kind of escape and, and kind of oh,
0: joy. That's all right. Then you let me off the <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: But even if you look at your bookshelf for, for work, or, you know, if you're looking at movies, like who was the writer, who was the producer, who was the director, whatever your thing is, or if you're, you know, you find yourself scrolling through Instagram, you know, throughout the day, yeah. whatever your thing is, whatever your influence is, look at your LinkedIn network, have a look. And if, is your feed a lot like you? You'll probably find it is because unless you've consciously chosen to kind of, you know, create and create a wider yeah. audience, it will probably be people just like you. And you can change that really easily. Um, so when you know, I
0: used it's just made me think I used to work with a guy at the BBC who was um he was part head of drama production and he was fantastic guy in all sorts of ways, a guy called Nick Brown, if you're listening, Nick. But what he did was he had a, he told me about this thing which I can't remember the name of, but you basically went and you put your um the books that you're reading in at the moment, and instead of doing the classic Amazon algorithm that will say recommended for you which is exactly like everything else you're currently reading it does the opposite oh wow so isn't that fantastic yeah it was a way of saying don't get sort of you know the danger of the algorithm which actually you know funnels you down a route where you only end up reading and being surrounded by the same things and ideas on the algorithm point this is very current have you seen coded bias
1: on Netflix no not yet it's a documentary on bias in algorithms oh, because God, basically whoever builds them, if it's a homogenous group, so it's a group that's similar, the algorithms work really, really well for people of that same shared yeah. demographic and they work less well for everybody else. So it's, it's just another way yeah. of looking at this subject through a lens of, of technology.
0: And that's a good example, actually, I think, of where, you know, sometimes I meet HR people and they say, oh, I don't understand about technology. I kind of leave that to the techie guys, quite often guys. Mm. If you're developing something that is based on patterns and algorithms, you've got to be involved because you've got to challenge some of that early thinking. Yeah. And also, you mentioning Netflix. I have to thank you. Last time we spoke, you recommended the Brene Brown "Daring Greatly." I've watched it twice. <laughs> call my to Courage. watched it. All my daughters have watched it, and it is what's it called? Not "Daring Greatly." That's it's the name the of the call book.
1: "Call to Courage." So she's call written "Daring Greatly," but Netflix is "Call to Courage." Amazing.
0: Absolutely fabulous. So, any listeners, if you haven't seen Brene Brown "Call to Courage." please watch it it'll make you laugh it'll make you cry what an amazing woman absolutely amazing yes. I think we're running out of time Catherine <laughs> is there anything else that we should have covered in terms of things that we've got wrong in the past or things that you see are, are working really well just maybe just to kind of um talk a little bit about your company and and the work that you do so um give me your website so people will will be able to reach you so it is compellingculture.co.uk and you work now as a consultant helping people who are what struggling with DNI or uh, just need some additional support or what's the kind of work you're doing
1: yeah so it's either kind of how do we get started or how do we level up That would be the kind of two tiers that I think. So people that are already doing things, but how do they kind of create more structure, measure success and take people through that change? Um, Or, you know, we're a really small organisation. We really haven't got any kind of internal investment. Like how do we begin and what are the things? We've been having lots of great conversations, but how do we build that into as we're growing? You know, if we've got organisations that are growing, how do we build that into what we're doing? So... It's typically, it's three buckets. So the first thing is to find the problem. Well, that organisation, that industry, you know, and the context that's going yeah. on. The second thing is the engagement and tools. So it's all the things like we've been talking about today. What is conscious inclusion? And how do we, you know, create confidence for leaders and all those kinds of things? And then the third thing is embedding it. So, you know, the policies, the process, the systems, yeah. The, yeah. all of those people decisions. So they're the kind of the three, the three big buckets.
0: Well, I'm sure the phone will be ringing off the hook after this. I've loved it. So next time we see each other, we'll have had haircuts. My roots will have gone. (laughs) Mine too. Uh, My eyebrows will no longer be, you know, (laughs) some like 70-year-old blokes. Um, Hopefully we'll all look much more polished. Not that you didn't. Sorry, that sounds really rude. But (laughs) it will be next week things open up. It's been a real pleasure, Catherine. Thanks so much for your time. You're welcome. Bye. Bye, Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more resources to help you change HR, check out the Disruptive HR Club at www.disruptivehr.club.